We are in, in Luke chapter, chapter 1, and we're finishing up Luke chapter 1, the prophecy that Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, is giving upon John's, uh, not just his birth, but now his, his circumcision naming celebration. And let's pick it up in verse 76. So in the verse 76, he's talking about uh, his son. So, so in the beginning of his prophecy, in, in verse 68, it started talking about the covenants, and then it started talking about the Messiah. Now it's talking about his son, John the Baptist. Verse 76 of Luke chapter 1, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare His way, to give it to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Okay, so this prophecy started off, actually in in the first part, it spoke of the covenant to David. This was in in verse 69. Then it spoke of the covenant to Abraham in verse 73. And now he's talking about the child. And what's interesting, he says in verse 77, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. This was a new message for them. The knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Salvation previously was coming to the Jewish people because they were Jewish and a devotion to fulfilling the command, the, 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 the law. But now there's something new. For us, it's like, well, this is obvious. No, for them it wasn't obvious. This is the introduction of something really quite new. He says, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So how is one saved? Well, one is saved through the forgiveness of their sins opens the door for salvation in Jesus Christ. To those of us who have grown up in the church, that's fine, that makes sense. But this is now a new concept for them. This is a prophecy of what's going to take place. To have salvation through the forgiveness of sins. This was the opening of the door for that. This was a novel concept to those who heard this prophecy. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. This, this actual sunrise from on high, this is uh, uh, taken from, from the, the text the reference text of the end of Malachi, the last chapter of Malachi, Malachi chapter 4, he starts to bring in. So remember, there were 400 years where there was no prophecy in Israel. And now all of a sudden, this prophecy, and then in verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. So this word is now going to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Who sits in darkness in the shadow of death? Gentiles. This was again taken... So this was taken from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, where Isaiah gave a few glimpses that salvation was going to come not just upon the Jewish nation, but upon all the nations. Remember, it was considered that the Gentiles were in darkness and the shadow of death because they had no revelation from the Word of God. They had no scriptures that revealed God to them. They were in utter darkness and the shadow of death. It says that to shine upon those now 
who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. So he says, this salvation is coming now to the Gentiles. Again, novel concepts coming forward that were mentioned briefly in the Old, in the Old Testament. Now, it's about to burst forth. And then, in, then it says, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So you see in verse 79, to shine upon those. And now, so, so, so you have the, this third person pronoun. And then it goes back to the first person pronoun in the second half of verse 79, to, sh- to guide our feet. This is the Jewish nation. So this one verse says he's coming to the Gentiles, to those who sit in darkness, and he's going to guide our feet in the way of peace. So he's proclaiming this is now the whole world is about to get hit with this knowledge of salvation. And then in verse 80, you see why John the Baptist came with such a novel message. With such a a message that people had never heard before. Where he came from the wilderness and he didn't, he was a, a... came in the sense, uh, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, in the sense that he came as an Old Testament prophet, proclaiming this word, looking quite strange, but he lived in the wilderness. In other words, John the Baptist was not taught by the Jewish practices of that day. He lived in the wilderness, away from all Jewish influence. So God himself was teaching John the Baptist. It says he lived in the desert, until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So he lived away from them. So this was, again, something, all these things are, 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 are quite, quite big changes taking place. John the Baptist lived separately from the Jewish nation, so he came with quite a radical message. And he could do this because he wasn't influenced by the culture of that day. Okay, let's start looking at Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while while we were there... The days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Okay, so, in, in, in chapter 2, reading from verse 1, it talks about this decree. So let's figure out when Jesus was born. You know, the, the common thought is that Jesus was born right in this separation between B.C. and A.D., so you had 1 B.C. and then 1 A.D. with no zeroth year. And Jesus was born right in between there. But actually that's a miscalculation and we know that from history. So let's look at the different points that we know. We know from Scripture that Herod was very much alive when Jesus was born. And we, we know this from, from the latter part of, of Luke chapter 2 and we'll see this next time. So he was born when King Herod was alive. And, and Herod died in, uh, in 4 B.C. Herod died in 4 B.C., and that, that's well documented. 
And in fact, Herod was in Jerusalem until 5 BC, and then he went to Jericho, and he died, became sick in Jericho, died in Jericho in 4 BC. So the wise men meet Herod in Jerusalem, so that was in 5 BC. Could be as, as, the early, the, the latest that could have been was 5 BC, and then at, because in 4 BC he went to Jericho, and there he died. So Jesus had to have been born prior to 5 BC. And then it turns out that this decree, this decree that went out from Caesar Augustus during this, this census, during the time when Quirinius was governor of Syria, this went out in 8 BC. So the decree went out in 8 BC. So Jesus was born sometime between 8 BC and 5 BC. And then, and then uh, um, there's, so, so this idea that, that, that Herod had died in, in, uh, in 4 BC came from Josephus, the first century historian. But we also know from the latter part of Luke chapter 2 that Jesus may have been as old as two years old when, he, when uh, uh, Herod left Jerusalem. He may have been as old as two years old because Herod had all the male children two years old and younger. So that would mean that, that, that Jesus was born in either 6 or 7 B.C. So what's interesting about this is that Christ was born 6 or 7 years before Christ. So Christ was born in 6 or 7 B.C. That's really the, the time that historians peg for this time period when Jesus was born because they, they know the dates of different things that took place around this. Um, so you, you see that, that uh, this census was taken and so everybody had to go to uh, register to his own city. This means Joseph had land in Bethlehem. Well, why would Joseph and probably Mary have land in, in Bethlehem? Why would they have land in Bethlehem of all cities? Because they're both descendants of King David, right? We looked, at, we looked at the lineages. They were both descended of King David. Both Joseph and Mary were descended of King David. So both of them had to go to their land. And remember, land in Israel wasn't something that, oh, I bought this house and this land and next year I sell it. Land came with family and land was never sold. If, unless people went totally broke and then they lost their inheritance. But land was something that was retained. Now, what would happen is large parts of land, as years went down and more and more people were born, would be divided up into smaller and smaller parcels. So they were probably not large landowners at this time, not at all. In fact, they were probably owned a postage stamp, but they, they were small plots of land, but land was owned, so they had to go, and they had to go to where their land was. Isn't it interesting that here they are in Nazareth, and... You know, if I think of it in miles, it's probably 50 or 60 miles to Bethlehem. So, we would consider that not very far today, but for them it was quite a long way to walk that. And so, so they had to go down to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Well, why, what's the big deal of having them in Bethlehem when Jesus is born? Prophecy. Because the prophecy was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So God has to somehow get them down to Bethlehem. Right? Somehow he's got to do this. He could have just picked them up and transported them. He's, he's done that with people in the New Testament. 
So, so uh, remember, Philip the evangelist seemed to have been just picked up and dropped off in another place. So, so God could certainly do that. Another way that God could have gotten them down there, he could have spoken to them through an angel. In fact, he had done it before. Remember, an angel appeared. Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her things and then told her to, to, to go on to her visit her, her uh, aunt Elizabeth, who was also with child. The angel, uh, uh, God had spoken to Joseph through a dream, told him what to do through a dream. Why, why this way? Why have a census and have some, something of the world cause people to have to go down from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Couldn't God have just spoken this through an angel? Well, he certainly could have, right? If the question is, could God have done this through an angel, your response should be yes. God can do whatever He wants to do, right? This, this is not hard math here. You know, these are very simple things I'm asking you. It, so, so He He chooses to do this through a census to move them on down there, even though, particularly in this time, He has a, he, he has a track record for speaking them to them through dreams and through angels. But now they have to go because of a legal requirement. And so here what you see is, you see that God leads people often through circumstances. Again, we see this, this occasion. So Nick tells me he's, he didn't get the offer from Bear Corporation. So he's, got to, so he's going to go to UT for graduate school, which is the better thing anyway. But, so God closes doors, and he's able to open doors. God does this. So often, Watchman Nee says, never think yourself so spiritual that you shouldn't be led by circumstances. Doors open, doors close. God often leads this way. And you would think of all families, of all families and all of history, God is particularly watchful of this particular couple in this particular time, right? Because here His Son is being born. This is, this is Mary. I mean, this is a pretty important Bible figure. And Jesus, and of all things, He speaks to them through circumstances and uses legal situations to get them in the right place at the right time. So, a very spiritual family, in a very spiritual time, with a very spiritual child, God chooses to speak through circumstances. So what does that tell us? That in our, a lot more normal lives, God is probably going to speak to us many times through circumstances where He will open doors and He will shut doors. God makes things clear to people. You may think that you're a, you're a singer, right? But if nobody else thinks that, guess what? All right? So, God can use things in our lives to reveal to us. I wanted to be a football player. I always wanted to be a football player. I was not fast enough. I was not strong enough. And, and, uh, and, uh, uh, but, and I was not big enough. But I had all the heart. Well, why can't I just be a, a football player? I mean, I had, I had all the heart for it. But God directed things in my life that it just wasn't going to happen that way. You know, I wanted to run, grab the ball, and 
run for the touchdown and jump up into the stands and everybody would pat me on the head and tell me how great I am. That's what I wanted to do. And when I see that on TV, I say to Shereen, I say, that's me. That's me right there. <laughs> you know, so I'll live through somebody else. But God has spoken through circumstances. You know, God has made us who we are. There are things that we are in our lives, talents that we have and other talents that we don't have that direct us, that direct our lives. And so you, you don't see too many Jewish football players. I'm sure there's a few, but you don't see many. Well, where are the Jewish people in the NFL? They're in the owner's boxes. <laughs> that's where they are. And that's true. That's where they are. So God has directed people differently. And he does that, and, and, and so that's what happens. So you see, God, God is dealing through circumstances here. And then, and then you see what's happening. So, so here she's ready to give birth. And it, it says that, that um, in verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the holy day inn. You know, there was, there was no room there. So here Joseph forgets to make reservations. When women, and I can say this because I presume none, none of you are pregnant, so you're not going to get offended, but when women get pregnant, oh, there's one pregnant woman. All right, aside from Jasmine, when mo- all other women get pregnant, their hormones just go up and down and up and down. And, and, and uh, so what husbands have to do is they just have to hide sometimes. Just hide. Because... You never know what kind of day it's going to be. But when she's about to give birth, women get really sensitive. I remember we were in a hospital, and uh, I, I guess it was with, with our, I forget which one it was, maybe Sabrina or Josiah, I forget which one. Anyway, so there was this really nice lady, an old lady who, who was there, and, uh, and, and she was a nurse's aide, and so she was trying to read the... Uh, the machine, and every time she'd read the machine, she'd put on her reading glasses, and she'd shrivel her nose to get her reading glasses <laughs> to line up so she could see the reading on the machine and record this. Shireen whispers to me, every time she shrivels her nose like that, it bothers me. Well, Shireen is, you know, in labor, and Shireen never says stuff like this about people, especially about an old lady. But this just shows you how extreme the... the, the you, you know, the, the hormones are that even these, these things were bothering her. And then she turned to me and she says, dump the trash can. I said, what? She says, dump that trash can. I said, why? She says, there's trash in it. It's bothering me. I said, well, that's where trash goes. She said, dump the trash can. I said, okay. <laughs> Took the trash out. <laughs> so women are really sensitive in this, in this, when they're in labor. So here's Mary in this very sensitive time. Joseph forgets to make reservations. They're sitting out by some stable. She may well have been outside with animals walking around and giving birth. Wouldn't you think that Mary, your blessed Mary, that God would have a nicer place for her? You know, the mother of Jesus? Don't you think God would have a better place? And God's son being born like this? God takes specifically that family. And remember, have you ever been, had the flu 
or been really sick, away from home, ever been away from home and been really sick and thought, I wish I were home, that my mother were taking care of me and, and, and I'd be much better. Don't you, have you ever been sick away from home and how miserable it is? This is the way she is. I'm sure she's wishing she could be back in Nazareth with her mother and her community around her to deal with these sort of things. But here she is in a strange place, in a strange city, sitting out in front of a stable, which were caves. The stables weren't like you see in Texas. They were caves. And you can go and you can see them today. That's where they kept the animals. And the animals were out in front of them if it wasn't raining. And if it was raining, they'd bring the animals in there. And this is where Jesus is born. Of all people, of all times, you would think that God would have taken care of this. There are going to come times when you're going to be on a mission field or you're going to move somewhere and things are not going to be perfect in your life. And just remember this story. Not everything is always perfect. Did you know that you could sleep among roaches and you will not die? Did you know that? You could sleep among rodents and you will not die. And there will be times where God will cause you to have to sleep in certain situations. And, and uh, I remember we, my daughter and I flew into India. She was 16 and we stayed. Uh, these people that were flying us in uh, arranged for us to spend about six hours at Bombay Airport in the, in the uh, VIP rest area. Well, this was many years ago, and the VIP rest area, I'm telling you, prisoners of war would have stuck up their nose at the VIP rest area at Bombay Airport. Um, but I was going there to preach Christ. In, that was a stopover in getting to South India. For the cause of Christ, you do things. And there are situations that you're in when your whole attitude, when you remember you are serving God, that you can get through this. You think of this lady's situation and what she went through. To have to come and walk all this distance when she's great with child. To have to have this baby in these strange surroundings. And in fact, it says that she wrapped him in cloths. Not clothes, but cloths. And laid him in a manger. So a manger is a feeding trough. So you take a feeding trough. And where are you going to put the baby? Well, there's... Joseph also forgot the, the, the crib, the bassinet, the, the, the playpen. He forgot all of this. You know, this, happens to, this happens to young fathers. They forget stuff. They forget to bring all, all, all the paraphernalia. They didn't have any of this. So they have to put their baby. Remember what happens in a feeding trough? You know, when animals are feeding, just, all this stuff comes out as they're feeding. This is what they had to put Jesus in. So it's not always going to be perfect. If you have the perfect everything, the perfect crib, the perfect everything for your child, that's an added blessing. But you may not. And you can spit and curse and get upset and everything and stamp your foot. But it may not change anything. But if you have the right attitude, just think of where Jesus was born. What happened to Him, the circumstances that He was in. These cloths are unusual. It is not usual for a child to be wrapped in this cloth. It is not usual for a child to be laid in a manger. And how do we know that? Because it says in verse 12, This will be a sign for you, for you will find a baby wrapped in cloths 
and lying in a manger. So this is a sign. A sign in the Bible doesn't have to be miraculous. It just has to be unusual. This is a sign. So if I were to say, I want you to find a particular student. Go over there to the Rice campus and find a student who's wearing sneakers. Now that's not much of a sign. Because it's really common, right? But if if I said, you find a student that's wearing one purple sneaker and one pink sneaker. That'd be a sign. Because that doesn't happen very often. That would be a sign. And then when you take one sign like that, and you stack it along with another sign, the probability of having those two things take place all in the same situation has become much, much smaller, right? You take a small number and another small number, and you put those two together in probabilities, it becomes quite a small occurrence. So he says to the, the shepherds, this is a sign for you. One of the signs is you're going to find the baby wrapped in cloth. So what happens is, these same caves that are used for barns, you can go to Bethlehem and see them today, is that you will will see um, they used also other caves around there as graves. That's often what they would do, and they would store cloth in those caves, grave cloth in in those caves. If this were baby cloth, it would not be a sign. If babies were always wrapped in this type of cloth, it would be no sign. But this was the cloth that was used for graves. This was the cloth that was used for burials, as if Jesus were born to die. They used whatever they could to warm this kid up. Now, people will take verse 8, and they say that in the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch of the flock by night. And they'll say... Because of verse 8, it could not have been December 25th when Jesus was born. It could not have been, they say, because shepherds wouldn't be sleeping out in the fields in December. That is true in Montana, but that is not true in Bethlehem. You can go to Bethlehem today in December, and you will find shepherds all over the place in December. Because rain in Israel falls between mid-October to mid-April. That's the rainy season. To have rain outside of that is very unusual. So by the time you hit early October, everything is brown, everything is dried up. It's a lot like like, uh, parts of California in that respect. And then then by the time... So mid-October it starts to rain. By the time the end of December is... Everything is lush. Even, even the Negev, the, the desert, the southern desert is lush. So it's a great time for sheep to be out. And it's a great time for shepherds. That doesn't mean that Jesus was born on December 25th. We have no idea when Jesus was born. No idea. He may well have been born on the 4th of July in anticipation of the American Independence Day. We don't know. We have no idea when he was born. But what we do know is that This verse 8 cannot exclude December 25th because uh, uh, it's really quite nice out in December. I would say it's probably similar to Houston weather in December uh, in Bethlehem where, where you could certainly be outside at night in December. And remember, these are tough guys. These are shepherds. It's not like, like us. I mean, these, these are, these are tough folks. And so, this is, this is a sign, they say, that what you're going to find. And then, it says in, in uh, 
In verse 8, it talks about the shepherds. And then in in verse 9, And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This glory of the Lord, you never see this until right here. This was used in the Old Testament. The last time this was seen in the Old Testament, this is called the Shekinah glory. This was in the book of Ezekiel. That was the last showing of this. So that was about uh, 600 B.C. Now, all of a sudden, the Shekinah glory comes again. And it comes on this occasion, and it comes to some shepherds. The Shekinah glory comes to these shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly they're... Okay, and lying in a manger. So now, this sign, they know exactly where to go. Remember, these are shepherds. They know where the mangers are. They know where the feeding troughs are. So God uses something within their own experience to guide them. They know exactly where to go in Bethlehem, where the feeding troughs are. They know. But now they've got to go and find among those feeding troughs a baby lying in the feeding trough. That's a sign. And the other sign is you're going to find this baby wrapped in cloth. In cloth. Unusual. This is an unusual sort of thing. Two signs. This is going to direct you to where the baby is. Verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Okay, so it says that, that uh, uh, the angel was alone, Shekinah glory around the angel, and then all of a sudden, this multitude appears with the angel, praising God and saying. So the, they didn't sing it. You know, in everything we have, you, you, you know, you, you think this heavenly host is singing. It doesn't say they were singing, it says they said it. They said, glory to God in the highest. It wasn't sung. Maybe other things were sung, but this wasn't sung. It says they said it. You know, do we know if God sings? We don't know if God sings. You know, we have no idea, but if he does, it would probably be in three-part harmony. We, we don't know much else about this. We don't know. But in this case, he was not, there was not singing going on. They said it. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. So think about this, this verse says. On earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. It doesn't say, you know, you could read this as, he's pleased with all men and peace be among them all. You could read it like that. Well, was he pleased with King Herod? King Herod who killed his three sons and killed his favorite wife and was about to kill all the children in, in uh, uh, that region of the country in a year and a half or so or two years from then? Was he pleased with Herod? Or you could read that says, and on earth among men with whom he is pleased. So, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. So, peace to those to whom he is pleased. You could read it that way. You see what I mean? You could read it as, peace among all men, or you could mean, peace 
among men the ones with whom I am pleased. That latter way of reading it is actually one that matches up much better with the Scriptures. To look at that. Um, so, so uh, if we look, for example, if we look, for example, at, at, at Luke 4, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Philippians 4, Philippians 4, and we see something about this, this whole attitude of peace. So you've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So he gives this list of things that are, that's good for us to do. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if anything excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You want to bring peace in your life? You start thinking about good things and you dwell on them. When you think about good things and dwell on them, it will help to clear your head and you'll be much more peaceful. But if you take the hard things in life and you just Think about, think about, think about this hard situation, how difficult it's going to be, and all the. You know what happens? You just go in the spiral down. You think about wrong things. You think about getting even with somebody. You think about uh, about lustful thoughts. You think about pornography and all of this. It will pull you down. And then he says, <clears throat> the things that you have <clears throat> have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. You practice these things, you'll have peace. If you practice these things, you'll have peace. Look in in John. John chapter 15. Jesus talks about the same sort of idea. John chapter 15. Reading from verse 9. John chapter 15 verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be made full. How do you have a joyful life? So that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do I abide in the love of God? In other words, the love of God is there. The love of God isn't taken from us. But when I stop abiding in God's love, boom, I move myself out from there. God's love is there, I move myself away from there. When I abide in God's love, Jesus said, you keep my commandments and you'll abide in my love. You do that which is right, that which is good, that which is holy, that which is pure. You do good things and you'll abide in His love and you will have joy. You can take two people, I can have two graduate students working on the same project. Two graduate students. One is happy and doing well and the other is upset and crying about everything. Every day it's another problem. Every day. And I just want to go. I don't don't even want to see you in my office anymore because I I don't want to catch what you have. I mean, you have some disease of depression that I don't want to have. I mean, because you've got somebody right next to you and it's not so bad. 
I mean, look, you're getting paid to get your PhD. That's not very bad. How'd you like to get paid to go to medical school? You know, so you have a lot to be happy about. You keep the commandments of God and you'll abide in His love. You practice these things, you'll have peace. Peace among men, peace among men with whom He is pleased. You please God, you'll have peace. If you don't please God, you're going to have real trouble. This, God even spoke this to Cain in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, right at the beginning. He said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, He said, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? You know, the same question. Say to myself, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Why are you crestfallen today? This is what God is saying to Cain. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. In other words, if you keep doing the wrong thing, you say, ah, oh, it's not so bad, God will forgive me. You keep doing the wrong thing, sin is crouching at your door and it will overcome you. And it will, it's crouching at your door. And the only way you'll overcome this sin is you do what is right. That's why in Romans chapter 12 it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's in Romans 12.21. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You do that which is good, and you will overcome evil. If you keep doing the wrong thing, what really pulls you away from fellowship with God is sin. You do that which is right and you will have peace. Do that which is right and you will have peace. I'm not saying you earn your way into heaven, but, but uh, you do that which is right, you keep His commandments and you'll have joy in your life. You don't and you won't. That's what He's saying. And peace among men with whom I am pleased. The ones with whom I am pleased, may they have peace. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the Word of God that teaches us Your ways. Thank You, Lord, for what Joseph and Mary especially had to endure, to have to go through labor and deliver a child outside like that, sitting in front of a stable. Father, I pray that You give us endurance to walk in the things that You have for us. That whether we be on the mission field or whether we, we don't quite have the house that we want or the apartment that we want and things aren't just absolutely perfect. Father, I thank You that with You we can endure all things. Father, I thank You for the demonstration of Your guidance through circumstances. Father, thank You how You so loved us that You sent Jesus. And You spoke peace upon those with whom you are pleased. Father, may we please you so that we may have peace. May we obey your word, abide in your commandments, obey your commandments, as Jesus said, and practice these good things so that we might have peace. Father, take these young people and do a great work in their lives, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.